it's a great honor to be here with Devon Lebon. He is a successful uh, actor, uh, a veteran with the U.S. Air Force, and a magnificent uh, leader in the community. And uh, welcome, Mr. Lebon, to this podcast. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Jose. Yeah. I am. Um... It's, uh, it's a pleasure to um, to uh, you know do this uh, thing with you and and um, I hope you uh, I hope you're happy with uh, the results. <laughs> <laughs> I hope everything come out as good, if not better, than you expected. Definitely, I expect nothing but the best. <laughs> oh, well, then, hey, you're in yeah. good company. <laughs> Yeah, so Mr. Lavon, uh, tell us about, you know, you were born in Alabama. Yes, I was. Yes, tell us about your early beginnings, where exactly in Alabama you were born, well, and tell us about your childhood. Okay. Well, at the time uh, I was born, um, I lived uh, in a town called uh, Northport, North. Alabama. Uh, Northport is uh, a community across the, on the east, northeast side of the Black Warrior River. Uh-huh. And uh, uh, the Black Warrior River, of course, uh, obviously that uh, uh, is an Indian name. And um, the area was, uh, in, was, was then uh, a Chickasha Nation area, uh-huh. Black Warrior. And so um, I uh, basically grew up there uh, as a kid and, well, I was a kid. Wow. <laughs> but How many was, siblings you have? Well, actually, uh, uh, I had uh, four sisters and about Well, I had four sisters and four brothers uh, by my dad, and um, yeah, so there were eight. There were eight, uh, eight of us. Eight. Yeah. Mm. Mm-hmm. Were you the youngest, oldest, in the middle? <laughs> Actually, uh, I believe I was the oldest boy, and I think I am uh, the oldest boy. Uh, I've got a sister still living that is um, close to my age um, but um, uh, my other uh, three sisters uh, they've gone on to be with the Lord oh, yeah man. they've moved out they've moved oh. out of Dodge so to speak <laughs> yeah uh, Miss Lavon you growing up in uh, Wino it's a relatively large family and uh, in Alabama Tell us about uh, at what point you got the inspiration to join, specifically to the U.S. Air Force. What inspired you? Well, uh, <laughs> that's uh, <laughs> that's uh, that's that's an easy one. Um, I, I didn't know it at the time, but my father was in World War II uh, and he was in the Army. As far as I knew then. Uh, I, I didn't know that he was in the Army Air Corps, and I didn't know that the Army Air Corps that he was in was the Tuskegee Airmen. And, uh, mm, <laughs> and so uh, 
I uh, didn't find that out until, um, oh God, I was, had done four years in the Air Force myself and uh, served in another war. But uh, this was in World War II. And of course, uh, my, dad, my dad never talked uh, about, uh, about it uh, very much at all. Uh, other than you know he was in there in there and so uh, the little I heard from uh, <clears throat> a friend of his uh, was that the only one thing in particular I remember was uh, we were talking about something after I was home from uh, on leave if you will and uh, he was saying yeah well, uh, you know I, I, I was uh, me and your dad was out at Groom Lake, and uh, Groom Lake, as it were, uh, was of course uh, is still is a very very secret location for a lot of things, and and is huge, and so where they were, uh, I don't know, but uh, uh, it turned out that in later years uh, it came 360 degrees, and I talk about that a little later on. Wow. And Mr. Long, this is interesting. Can you tell us about the Tuskegee Airmen? You know, for people that may not know, who are the Tuskegee Airmen? Well, the Tuskegee Airmen are black uh, airmen who, uh, I believe, uh, the 19, I believe at 1920, 1920 or something, I, I don't want to quote the date, but there was an ex discussion, if you will, uh, about air airmen and black airmen, uh, flyers, etc., by, I guess, Congress. <laughs> and uh, they arrived at the conclusion, as always, well, they can't fly. They'll never be able to manage the intric intricate maneuvers and, 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 and thinking outside the box and all of that. Uh, so they would not be suitable to waste money on, if you will, uh, teaching them how to fly because they, they, they can't fly. But this was the feeling that the Congress uh, and those who felt that way, uh -huh. this was the mindset. Um, there were those, of course, uh, who felt differently uh -huh. and thought differently, but, you know, then, and as it is perhaps even now, the higher-ups... You know, they're still calling the shots, pretty much. <clears throat> so um, the Tuskegee Airmen uh, then, um, I'm trying to remember just how the uh, training uh, began, but we, of course, had a war facing us in, uh, what, 39, 1939. Mm -hmm. we, we knew that uh, uh, things was getting uh, real dicey over in uh, in Europe with the crazy man <laughs> yeah. running around uh, hell-bent for leather. Hitler. Yeah, well, that's, Hitler, yeah. that's the one, you know. And uh, so we knew that, uh, well, I guess President Roosevelt uh, knew well that um, uh, it, would be, uh, it would be wise to uh, gear up, so to speak. And I guess they instituted the the, the training of uh, black airmen at Tuskegee Institute. Oh, God. And, uh, and it uh, turned out to be uh, a, a very good move uh, 
on the part of uh, on the part of Congress, and um, uh, as as we know that the Tuskegee Airmen played a very uh, important role in World War II, as in Korea and uh, and other uh, events that we probably don't know of. Because we know that everything done in the military is not always yeah. <laughs> told to the public. Mm. So yeah, but uh, yeah, they um, they were near where the training uh, field and Tuskegee Institute and the whole bit was near where I lived, uh, maybe five miles or so away, and uh, uh, we could hear the uh, early morning. Uh, engines revving up and warming up and all of that. Uh, I think the T-6s uh, were probably one of the advanced trainers at that time. It carried two people and, you know, uh, and uh, uh, they, they, uh, they were training touch, touch and landing, touch and landing, uh, touch go and landings. And uh, those are where you come in, touch ground mm -hmm. and then rev up mm -hmm. and go airborne again yeah, well, yeah. and so you know which is good practice because uh, it's not a one-time thing you, you round again back again line up set up touch up and so on and um, as it were it just happened that this open field where they were uh, doing the touch and go me and my cousins and some friends were going going to the Black Warrior River, which was near enough to walk. Of course, we walked uh, barefoot. Yeah. <laughs> we were seven, eight years old, and, uh, you know, that was the way you traveled mm -hmm. out there on the, on the, on the, in the dirt. So it was wonderful uh, to see them. We looked up and saw the planes circling, coming in to touch and go. And... Um, but as they were coming around, they banked, and we could see clearly, and they were waving. And we said, them's colored. <laughs> and we were so excited uh, to see people who looked like us uh, in a plane flying. That was just unbelievable. And we were so excited. And um, we... Um, from then on, it was, uh, man, I, you know, I, this is what I want to do when I grow up. <laughs> man, I want to be one of those guys, you know, wow. and fly. And uh, it was it was just, it was great. It was wonderful to see that. Uh, and another day, we were passing the same area where they touch and go, and one came in, and he didn't have brakes. Uh -huh. His brakes had gone out. So, so he... Uh, you know, he, he, he was landing to come to a stop, not to take off. This was a landing, and uh, he was trying to stop the plane, put on brakes, and, and no brakes. And he, he, and the, at the end of that uh, uh, touch-and-go field landing strip was a deep gully. Uh -huh. <laughs> and so, of course, you wouldn't go there. But without brakes, you had no choice. Okay. So he went to the end of that, and, and last thing we saw was the plane going down into the gutter. But it turned out that there was a lot of brush and shrubs and like that down there, 
and the, the pilot was not injured, and uh, of course, uh, you know, the plane was not damaged too bad, badly. But uh, that was a, that was another sight that we recognized uh, was uh, 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 <laughs> something to be aware of if you're going to fly. And, uh, <laughs> that is. Uh, <laughs> brakes, no brakes, wow. and you don't know yeah. that until you're on the ground to put on the brakes. But uh, there was so many little incidents that uh, I can remember as a kid, and that, um, you know. What would you say was the most challenging flying experience that you have? Oh, <laughs> well, uh, challenging uh, every time you took off, uh, it was a challenging experience because you're leaving the ground uh, in a machine. Mm -hmm. And of course, this machine will do more than a bird mm -hmm. can do, basically, at the hands of a skilled operator. Mm -hmm. And so if you were skilled enough, uh, then uh, you could put the plane through a lot of uh, maneuvers and feel safe knowing that the plane can handle it but um, uh, there are there are other things that uh, that that come into play uh, gravity gravity doesn't care what it is I mean it's, it's gonna pull it's gonna pull down and uh, so uh, you have to be uh, uh, alert to to your flying uh, you can do the maneuvers and all of that but you can go to a point yeah. where you actually lose control of the aircraft and so you got to know where that is and stay away from it yeah. but um, I guess some you know some of the exciting well it was exciting because if you're if you're 19 years old or eight, 18 and a half or 19 and a half or 20 years old it's all exciting <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And you're 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 absolutely. Yeah. It's exciting. Yeah. And you're very. Um, uh, uh, you think that you're you're invincible, and and so, uh, you know, I remember uh, <laughs> we were we were coming well uh, uh, twice, no, three times. Uh, once I was coming in from uh, Shepherd Air Force Base, uh, Texas, and. Um, we were in a B-26 bomber, two-engine, and uh, we had trouble uh, before we took off. Mm. We had a uh, hydraulic leak. Oh, okay. And we knew that, so then the, the ground crew, you know, did their, did their job and uh, fixed it. And then we uh, said, okay, it's done, it's fixed, good to go. Um, fired it up. And we got over the high Sierras, and I suppose, obviously, it was leaking again. And uh, as you come over the Sierras, you're up so high, and you see the little pebbles, you know. But after a while, the little pebbles got bigger and bigger and bigger because we were descending. And, and, and so, <laughs> so the... Um, co-captain said uh, you hope you got your chutes on because uh, if I come through here one more time I'm going right out that door and of course that was your warning 
And of course, uh, we uh, wow. laughed and wow. said, boy, yeah. <laughs> uh, we'll be right behind you. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, we came into Norton Air Force Base in San Bernardino and, uh, yeah. with the fire trucks trailing us and the thing smoking and the whole bit and all that. And we got, oh man, that was wow. But there, there yeah. were many incidents uh, similar. Uh, similar to that uh, in the air, uh, on the ground and in the air. So, yeah, but I mean, there again, you know, you're at the, well, they say uh, in the Air Force, if you're, uh, if you, <laughs> they said if you have the daredevil spirit and the killer instinct, then you'll make a good airman. Uh -huh. So I don't know about that, but yeah. I guess if you're gonna, crazy enough to go up 15,000, 30,000 feet, in the air and have people shoot at you. <laughs> you either got to be crazy or have the daredevil instinct. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's fascinating. T tell us about your kind of like how it was for you the learning of flying from the beginning to you know to the most advanced level that you got. You know like. <laughs> What was the time frame? You know, like yeah. tell tell us about it. It's it's, it's fascinating. Yeah. Well, you know, um, I guess from the time I had the encounter with the Tuskegee Airmen, from then on, I mean, I <laughs> I had a special tree, okay. and that special tree had a nice limb, and that was my cockpit. Okay. <laughs> so I would climb up into this tree and get on my special limb, and. Uh, and now I'm a fighter pilot, you know, and uh, and so I went through all of the maneuvers and, and, and everything that I'd ever seen in a war film. Of course, you know, World War II, uh, they showed a lot of war films to you know, create uh, that desire to to either go and fight or pay your, give whatever you can to the war bonds and all of that. So, <laughs> it was, so it was a time, and, uh, but, uh, <laughs> I remember, I remember one day I went and got up in my tree and sat on my favorite limb in my cockpit. And I guess I must have been firing uh, a lot of rounds and all of that. And man, I was having a great time and looked back and there was a snake on my limb. <laughs> it was a big, pretty good sized limb to sit on. But when I looked back and saw the snake on the limb, he was headed towards me. On the limb, I had my first bailout. <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> I know that's kind of silly, but that was child, child stuff. But, mm -hmm. but uh, I bailed off. I bailed out out of my plane, mm -hmm. <laughs> hit the ground. <laughs> but um, I guess you have to have animal instincts. Yeah, <laughs> that's fascinating. Tell us about your experience flying the the Blackbird. Oh, oh my goodness! Tell us. <laughs> that is fascinating. Well, uh, after the Air Force. Uh, um, I, um, my training and all of that was, uh, I guess, specialist training a whole bit by the Air Force. And, uh, when I hired in on a contract with Lockheed, uh, they were the builders in the Skunk Works division okay. of Lockheed. And they had built a U-2, and of course you probably have heard of the U-2 prior. Yes. So it was doing its job, and oh, yeah. uh, 
at that time, the Russians uh, knew that there was something in the sky spying on them, uh-huh. but they could not uh, do anything about it. So they, of course, uh, started building missiles uh, that hopefully would reach uh, the altitude where the U-2 was. And they had not successfully been able to hit it with one of their missiles because they couldn't get up high enough. So, as it were, uh, <clears throat> uh, uh, Captain uh, Powell, Powell, yeah, uh, was the the U two had such wingspans, et cetera, that it could conserve energy, that is fuel, at a certain altitude, like okay. a bird, you know. Oh, okay. Yeah, and then and then of course. Uh, fired up again and so he was soaring if you will like a bird and uh, then when he got down began to descend uh, where he knew that uh, it was a dangerous altitude he began to try and uh, start the engine and it uh, wouldn't start right then and so the missile that the uh, Russians fired came up close enough that when it exploded uh, it was able to uh, damage it to the point where Powell had to buy a bailout. And, uh, so that then prompted the uh, uh, Skunk Works Division to uh, get building, get started building a new, a new recon- reconnaissance plane. And uh, Kelly Johnson, who was the head of uh, that whole division, uh, <laughs> he said, I'll build one, the sons of bitches won't be able to knock down. Wow. <laughs> and he did. He oh. built one that they could not knock down because he went uh, he, above and beyond uh, with the Blackbird. And um, I, as I went in on the project, I went in as a flight, uh, uh, flight, uh, flight engineer, a flight test engineer, and of course, this was having to do with uh, assembling and putting the bird together. And then after we got it all done and everything, then we had to take it out to test it, uh, and also train the air force, uh, the airmen, and all of that that had to, you know, take it and fly it and and so forth after after we had trained them. And so I was a flight test engineer on the Blackbird for seven and a half years. Um, and there was, <laughs> it was an interesting project. Very interesting. <laughs> wow, yeah. what was one of the most uh, powerful experiences that you had with the Blackbird? Now, when you will fly the Blackbird, would you do it always with a mate, or you will just fly by yourself? How well, does it typically work? Well, as a flight test engineer, uh, I, I was not the test pilot. Okay. I was the test flight test engineer. Okay, yeah. test engineer. Yeah. Got it. Flight test engineer. So, so uh, you know, in other words, um, we got it. Uh, we got it. Um, uh, through its paces, put it through its paces, and got it ready for various flight tests and to do certain things, certain maneuvers, certain altitudes, certain speeds, and so forth and so on. Um, and 
of course, um, you know, a, a lot goes into that. That uh, uh, as 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 we know, it's still the fastest bird that's uh, ever been flown by man. Um, uh, I mean, it. Uh, well, we're not talking about shuttles, shuttles, and 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 all of that. We're talking about airplanes. Yeah. Yeah. So so it. Um, it did what it was designed to do, and above. And um, for 20 years, the public only saw unidentified flying objects in the sky. Right. And uh, uh, you've heard of Area 51? No, tell us about the Area 51. <laughs> well, Area 51 is, uh, <laughs> most people say that that's where they have aliens. <laughs> Oh, that are, uh, you know, <laughs> but uh, <clears throat> because it, the public cannot go there, they cannot take pictures of it, they can't get near it, uh, and so obviously a lot of money is being made by the people who write novels, the people who talk about UFOs and, mm -hmm. and unidentified this and that and so on, and they still say there are a lot of aliens that are being held and experimented on and so forth. And a lot of technology is coming out of the capture of space aliens, ships okay. and so forth. So it just, it goes on and on and on, you know. But but by the same token, um, I was there uh, with the Blackbird. Okay. Yeah. And uh, all I can say, all I can say is that, uh, <laughs> I remember one, I believe it was a Friday night, Friday evening, Friday, late Friday evening, and uh, some Canadians uh, decided to violate the airspace. Uh -huh. And uh, they knew that they were flying in air in, in, uh -huh. in forbidden territory, and they, they, they could have been shot down. And they would have been shot down, however, uh, they were warned, and then there was two X, uh, two, 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 two F-105s that were dispatched, and they went up and got on each, got on each end of the wings of, of the uh, Cessna that they were that, that they were flying in, and uh, hey, <laughs> you know. You, 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 there's a strip down there in front of you, you land this plane, uh, or the next one will be, uh, you know, you, you won't be around no more. Uh, uh. In other words, uh, so they will fight, we'll shoot you down. So they got him down and landed, and, and right away, boy, covered them up, <laughs> puts over their heads. But, um, I heard the story was that, uh, they didn't realize <laughs> they didn't realize they were they were in restricted air airspace and <laughs> and all of that. But what it was, they they were they were trying to wow. see if they could see something. Okay. You know, yeah, they were trying to see if they could see something while they were uh, over there, because of course that that would have been big would have been a big money thing for them to have seen something. But they didn't see anything but the F one hundred fives. Because everything else is black and out at night, um, and obviously, 
you don't see anything. <laughs> <laughs> was that located in a particular area? You know, that is a driver, you know, was it within the U.S. territory? Uh, area 51 that I was at uh, is in the U.S. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, it's okay. in the United States. Where, where is that? Is it the East Coast? Uh, here on the West Coast? Where? I'll just say it's on the West Coast. On the West, okay. Yeah, it's on the West Coast. But it's, uh, as I said, you know, it's a very highly sophisticated area where uh, a lot of things go on and no one knows all the things that are going on. They basically, if you're there, you're on your project, and that's all you know, pretty much. Uh, if they're on a project, and you don't know what they're doing, they don't know what you're doing, really. It's yeah. it's, it's it's so vast that uh, no one knows what the other person is doing, and you're not supposed to talk to. In other words, if I got a crew member. And he and I are, you know, discussing something. That's mm -hmm. that's one thing. But if I don't know this person, uh, I don't. I never. We never talked to anybody that uh, we didn't know about who we were and what we were doing. Yeah, it was. It was. It was. It was. Um, it was a great, uh, great experience. Um, and it turned out that it was reconnaissance and. In intelligence gathering and, and basically for four years thereabouts I was uh, that's basically what I was I was in a squadron called the uh, uh, 54th strategic reconnaissance squadron uh, and of course that's what we did during the war during the war yeah. Yeah. so it was I enjoyed the project and it was it was you know a lot of things you know I that I wouldn't be privileged to just tell or talk about it, it wouldn't be a what well, i don't know it might be of interest to some <laughs> to someone who was uh you know had a had a book or a novel or something that they <laughs> put that in but i can say um i think it's pretty safe to say that um the blackbird well i told you i think earlier that uh the blackbird was 20 years in flying uh and of course it was a unidentified spacecraft seen by uh airline pilots and whatever wow. but the air force never knew never had anything up there okay <laughs> they never had any balloons yeah weather balloons and all that we had up there but not uh, nothing like that they're talking about <laughs> so so um but after 20 years uh they got the green light to expose it to the public because you know 20 years gone now. by. Wow, wow, wow. gone by. So then they they flew the Blackbird from Los Angeles to New York. Uh, okay. 59 minutes. In 59 minutes. Oh, my <laughs> goodness. Yeah, it was, it was very fast. 55. Oh, <laughs> that is fast. It was so fast that... Um, uh, it was like a test drive, just to kind of test it, test it out. It... it it, 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 it literally uh, the fastest thing I, I, I never imagined well I guess in the movies the sci-fi movies where you see the spaceships and all of that in space you know and whatever and that was exciting you know like Star Trek there, that comes to mind Star Trek you know beam us up you know warp take it to warp too <laughs> but this bird it literally uh, well it was Mach 3 plus 
Uh-huh. And Mark 3 Plus is, is uh, I think and I believe Mark the Plus is still top secret. Okay. And Mark 3, they, they'll say Mark 3 mm-hmm. Plus. Got it. <laughs> and Plus is, you know, no one knows how big that plus is. But but I can say that over 3,000 missiles were fired at the Blackbird uh, during the time that they were trying to kill Gaddafi. Okay. Over 3,000, and not one ever came close to it. Wow. Not one. Because they were shooting, they were, they were firing everything that they had uh, when they knew it was up there, they couldn't reach it. Number one, and then when they when they would fire their missile, the missile has a trajectory, and the Blackbird is here, so the missile the missile is going to come up and intersect. Wow! Right, but when the missile is coming up to the point where it intercepts, the Blackbird throttles forward. <laughs> So and the missile is back here now. Fire! It blow explodes. I see. I see. I So and the missile couldn't do that. See, the missile could only go straight to the point of um, of uh, its trajectory, uh, the contact uh, point, and uh, after that, it was dead. It was done. And uh, but the Blackbird, in fact. It flew so fast that uh, at night it would be red hot. The yeah. whole bird. Yeah. <laughs> That's all about titanium, remember? Titanium, yeah. It'd be red hot. Then had to be titanium, otherwise the aluminum would have just would have melted. And it um, I I think the public probably would be amazed to know that when it's parked on the tarmac. Fuel is leaking. Okay. Fuel. Yeah, fuel is leaking. Yeah. Fuel is leaking. Can you believe that? Fuel is leaking from the bird because the fuel that they use would not burn like regular octane. Oh, okay. It would not burn like that. And um, so when the bird fired up, uh, all of those areas where it fuel leaked out because it didn't have fuel tanks. It just, it just, it just had uh, something else where they put the fuel in. So the fuel would leak, but when it fired up, all of that started to come together. Gotcha. And, gotcha. and, and it, it sealed in flight. Mm-hmm. And then gave way uh, when it cooled down. Yeah. <laughs> And, and, wow. I mean, it was, it's, it is, it is um, a lot of technology that we're using today mm-hmm. in our uh, more uh, modern, if you will, uh, uh, planes and, and, of course, the sky, uh, sky the uh, Space Force, uh, obviously, you know, they're going... Above and beyond. Above and beyond. Wow. So it's just we're in that we're in this, we're we're at the age where I think um, well we know that even civilians now are paying paying money to go what to Mars or whatever uh-huh. millions, millions of dollars and you know so it's it's here. Yeah. It's here. So you know the sky 
the, the space forces they, they got they got some stuff out there to get up there wow wow <laughs> would you ever consider going to mars <laughs> not really you know, yeah i mean you know i you, you could you could gosh i mean if you, if you get out there on some of those open plains and um in the in the mojave desert or or uh or texas through the open plains of that that's 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 mars you know basically uh except that we have gravity mm. you know what i mean that's yeah. that's mars but but we have gravity and, and there's no gravity up there there's no gravity. oh just barren you know, oh man big barren big barren space Are there, is there such things as a human living there people living and no oh no there's nobody uh <laughs> <laughs> they have not discovered one live anything basically on that planet you know it's like the moon you know yeah. but but it's a challenge for human you know they 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 rather than have peace on earth and everybody get along prosper and thrive they spend billions to go to a rock up in space uh, you know nothing there and then you can't you got to have a suit on you got to have air breathe you got to you've got to be dressed like a marshland in other words if there's a marshland uh, <laughs> but here on earth oh it's uh no we can't um, we can't give them we can't give them 15 an hour i mean <laughs> it's too much money yeah but it's it's you know it's, that's the way life is i guess uh, it always will be That's something. And uh, during your experience, right, with the Blackbird, how many years were you involved in that project altogether as an engineer? Total 17 and a half years. 17 and a half, yeah. I, uh, I got off the project uh, right after the Tet Offensive, and that was 1968. And that's when I resigned uh, and got off the project. That was in 1968. Wow. Now, quick question. Was Lockheed the same one that also built the airplanes that the U.S. Air Force were, were using for the Cuban missiles? Yeah. The Cuban, oh, okay, the Cuban Missile Crisis. Yeah. During John F. Kennedy. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the U-2, in fact. Uh-huh, the was, U-2. Was the one that spotted the missiles on the tarmac, on the pad, on the missile pad in, mm -hmm. in Cuba, because it was a spy plane. Yeah. That was his job, you know, to watch. Then we watched, because uh, I did the same thing in the Air Force. Mm -hmm. They had legs, and maybe six legs would go out and cover uh, the greater portion of the world. And wow. See, uh, you know, what the bad guys were doing, what, what, what they were up to. Mm -hmm. And of course the U-2 was doing that uh, as a very fast, high-flying spy plane. Yeah. And uh, that's when the uh, missiles were discovered. I see. Otherwise, the naughty, naughty, naughty Russians, I mean, putting missiles 90 miles off, uh, off the shores of uh, Florida. Now that... Uh, That was not, not nice. Mm -hmm. <laughs> not, not nice at all. Yeah. That is fascinating. What would you say, what advice would you give to 
younger generations, you know, that wants to follow your footsteps? Well, um, I guess I could say, uh, you know, follow your dream. Of course, uh, when when I was, you know, like that, young, young at that age and all that, mm -hmm. uh, we were advanced uh, then for that era and time we were advanced. Okay. Uh, today, for the youth, uh, today, let's say, uh, a youth, a young person that's, 17 or 18 years old, they got the whole world ahead of them or uh, in their hand, literally, they got the whole world in their hand. Uh -huh. See what I mean? And, and all, they, uh -huh. all they need to do is really take advantage of it. Uh, it's called a cell phone, but it's a computer. Yeah. It's, uh, it's uh, Star Trek, you know. It's, exactly. it's, it's uh, Mr. Spock. Yeah. So if you want to be Mr. Spock and do all of the great things that Mr. Spock could do with his little tricorder, you can do it with your cell phone. Yeah. So I would say to the young people, you know, don't waste your life away um, doing menial things mm. that is that uh, does not advance you. Uh, help, help and love one another. Mm -hmm. uh, because I would love to have had a uh, cell phone, I guess, when I was 19 years old. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we had a phone on the wall. Wow. And we had to go dial it, a rotary. <laughs> a rotary phone, if you will. <laughs> and <laughs> and uh, I don't know how we lived without it, without the cell phone, yeah. but we did. We did pretty good, in fact. And then television came into play, and uh, <laughs> God, I mean, they had one, what, one or two stations. And 15 people would show up at night to look at that, <laughs> to look at that station. So, but uh, you can look at yours on the cell phone. You can look at it yeah. So it's 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 uh, it's it's quite a quite an advance, advancement. It's quite an achievement. It's quite a uh, we're 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 above and beyond uh, where we was, if you will, 50 years ago. Yeah. Above and beyond. I mean, literally above because. Uh, we're going into space uh, with a, a civilians in a civilian aircraft or spacecraft. <laughs> it's just unbelievable. Unbelievable. But, yeah. So the future is in the hands of the people. Of the people. To, you know, get what they want, if you will, out of out of it, because they got all of the they got all of the, all of the tools that uh, that they really need to to do that. Uh, Basically, it's just—it's a—it's a mar—it's a marvel because I don't think I would ever learn all of the things there is in this little thing uh, and how it works and so on. I don't think I'd ever learn that. And I talk to a lot of engineers and people who are smart, and uh, they say, "Well, you know what? I don't—I I don't know how that works." <laughs> wow! So, so it's just—it's amazing. That is amazing, yeah. This is fascinating. You know, Mr. Lavon is an inspirational to hear your story. Thank you. From Thank Alabama you. to growing up to be such a diligent and successful, you know, uh, airman, uh, engineer, and, uh, you know, a, a, you know a, a wonderful role model. Thank you. Yeah, and uh, 
you know, definitely now tell us about, you know, your life now uh, well, as an actor. Yes. Oh, well, I, <laughs> that, that was the uh, beginning mm -hmm. of my acting career uh, after the Tet Offensive. I said, you know, I've been packing my bags and flying all over the place, all every here, there, everywhere. And I'm tired of living out of my bag. Mm -hmm. So I came in and I said, I'm terminating. And they said, you can't terminate. Mm -hmm. You can't. The Tet Offensive is on and, and God knows what all else is going to happen. I, you can't, you can't, you can't quit the program. Mm -hmm. I said, well, you know what, I, 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 I think I've served my time, and yes, I can quit. I'm a civilian. I said, so I bring your termination letter tomorrow. Hmm. Well, okay, if you bring me a letter, then uh, all right, I'll debrief you, and you know, I hate to see you go, and, and, and you can come back. You know, you're always welcome to come back. We'd love to have you back. Mm -hmm on the program, so, uh, you know, this was CIA involvement as well, mm -hmm. you know, and, uh, mm -hmm. so I said, at least myself, <laughs> you, you won't see me back on this program, <laughs> I'm out of here, and so that's when I uh, went out uh, and became a, uh, well, first I became, well, first I was an actor, and then I became an actor stunt person. I still had a lot of, a lot of, I guess, uh, uh, <laughs> smoke in me, and uh, and uh, I want to jump around and, and and so on, you know, a lot of speed. I wanted to speed around and hold it, and uh, that's why I became a stuntman, and I uh, got plenty of that. I got my field of stunt work, and uh, got the speed kind of curtailed. And uh, was able to come to Earth, back down to Earth again, uh, after 20, 20, 23 years of, of stunt work and, and, and acting. We broken wrists twice, and finger, and dislocated discs. And after all of that, and the <laughs> chiropractor said, you know, you better quit doing stunts. Otherwise, I'm going to have to go into your back. Mm -hmm. And I, it, there's a bell went off, you know. I heard a bell ring, you know, the light came on. <laughs> Uh, okay, yeah, no, I don't want you going into my back. So, um, so what should I do? He said, well, you got 22 qualified years uh, as a stuntman, and um, why don't you retire? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, light came on, bells came, I started, you know, going off. Yeah, retire. I never thought of retirement, you know, I'm too young to retire. <laughs> in my mind, mm -hmm. you know, but then come to think of it, you know, I, I, I realized those eight little aches and pains and things was, was, you know, telling your story. And so, okay, doc, what do I do? He says, okay, if you go to, don't go to work no more and I'll fill out the paperwork, turn it in and you have to not work. You can't work for a year because you got to draw all of your disability, all of your state disability. Oh, that'll be easy. <laughs> I can do that. So I went out, drew disability from the state, which was my disability, it was my money. And after all of that was depleted, then 
the Social Security kicked in, uh, then um, then uh, my retirement from the motion pictures kicked in, and so I was ah, it's pretty nice. But then I got uh, bored, and so I came back not doing stunts, but I came back to the movie industry and uh, mm. started uh, working again. Nice. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so that um, my first film. Uh, <laughs> uh, I think my one of my first contracts. Um, well, no, maybe my second because uh, my first one was uh, High Chaparral TV series called High Chaparral. Oh, uh, I, and, uh, uh, I was uh, at that time a stuntman, but we were uh, reenactors, Buffalo, not Buffalo, yeah, Buffalo Soldiers reenactors. You heard of the Buffalo Soldiers? Yes. Okay, so we were a group called the Tenth Cavalry, Tenth okay. U.S. Cavalry. All black, which they were, the Buffalo Soldiers yes. were all black. Um, and so we rode in parades and all of that. And finally, the um, the producer uh, of uh, High Chaparral sent a letter to uh, our president of the group. And he said he wanted us to be in an episode of High Chaparral. So they wrote a script about uh, 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 Indians. No, no, uh, about uh, uh, a band of of, uh, of killers and cutthroats and all of those that were taken over the town of Tucson, mm. old Tucson. So uh, they call out the cavalry, and at that time in yeah. history, the cavalry was stationed at Fort Huachuca just out of Arizona, just out of Phoenix, uh, not too far out of Phoenix. Mm -hmm. And they did, they were law and order. Yeah. So, so, so they rode in to the town. We rode into the town, if you will, and uh, took care of business. But uh, it's a high shop route, it's on your computer. Wow. Your, and um, that was, that was, that was my uh, first big, uh, big movie. Uh, as a result of that, uh, we rode in 1970s Rose Parade with the with the High Chaparral cast. Rode down the uh, rode down Colorado uh, six miles on horseback in cavalry uniforms, and it was awesome. It was, it was, it was really awesome. And so um, then the, then the Cowboys Hall of Fame mm -hmm. uh, organization. And Scottsdale, Arizona, wanted us to come there to ride in a parade they have every year. So we were invited to come there. They paid our way. We flew down there and and uh, rode in their parade. And they gave us presented a big statue, a Cowboys Hall of Fame statue, to to the group. And uh, we were hot stuff, you know. We enjoyed that. Um, CBS CBS was uh, going to do a TV series mm -hmm. based uh, on the Buffalo Soldiers. On the Buffalo Soldiers. And of course, uh, it, it didn't, it, we as a group did stupid, if you will, and I can use that word. We did stupid. And what happened, we lost the deal. Mm -hmm. The script was ready. We were about ready to go uh, into production. 
and we could never okay. come together as a group because it was splintered by that time. But anyway, <laughs> oh man. So I think the, the next, well, one of the next films that I did with uh, Jim Brown. That's Jim awesome. Brown. Black called Black Gun. That's awesome. Black Gun. Mm -hmm. You can look at it too. I am. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I played a, a uh, Maitre D <laughs> in that. Um, but uh, yeah. Man, you're, what a fascinating story. So, yeah, so it, yeah. you know, it. Uh, from a little boy from Alabama. Yeah, it was in the U.S. Army, working at Lucky and. Oh, U.S. Air Force. U.S. Air Force, yeah, U.S. Air Force, <laughs> yeah. My goodness. What will be the final words that you want to share with people? Well, uh, you know, we all have uh, desires and wants if you will, the needs. Well, we all basically have pretty much the same needs. Mm -hmm. Eat, <laughs> you know, and, and, and all that. But uh, the wants, that's different. So if a person have uh, mm -hmm. something that, that they really want, uh, go for it. Yeah. And don't let anything uh, stop you. If it's good and it's something that you feel that you need, mm -hmm. you can do go ahead and do it uh, when you get to a point where like you think oh man this is uh this is hard well just about the time you think it's really hard that's when you've just gotten over the hump you're at the top of your game when it's hard because after that it gets easy yeah most people don't understand that when it's hard the only thing only thing can happen now is it gets easy you mm -hmm. <laughs> see, they think, oh, this is too hard. Hard is not going to be forever. Because you at that point where you're stepping over into the easy. Exactly. So it's, 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 it's a mind thing, pretty much. You know, some people, some people don't want. Yeah. And so if they don't want, they never get. Yeah. And what they get is not what they want. That's so true. <laughs> But yeah, it's different strokes for different folks. And I, I, I found that out in, in uh, my years of uh, living and experiencing uh, different things that uh, we, we all are, are m we're free. Uh, we have a free mind and a free will. Yeah. So, so that's why we don't do, we're not, <laughs> we're not robots. So we don't do the same thing uh, or have the same desires and so yeah. forth. If it's something you want and it's you think it's really good for you and maybe it's good for your friends or for your yeah. loved ones or for your family or whatever, then go for it. Yeah. Because that, it'll turn out to be a, a, a wonderful thing. A wonderful thing. Yeah. Wow. Thank you, Mr. Dimalama, for this interview. It's been a big honor for us. Pleasure is all mine, jo Jose. I, hey, you know, uh, I mean, you know, I, I enjoy uh, talking, of course, about, uh, you know, there, there's just so much there, but but I, I'm, I'm glad that you uh, I wanted to do this and uh, appreciate you, you, you asking me to do this. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>